Well, we've been in a series called Running with Giants, and we've been talking all about how we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses that have went on before us, that have run the race for God, that have run the race successfully, and now we're surrounded and they're cheering us on. I don't know what your perspective of heaven is like. I don't know what you think of when you think of heaven. But Hebrews chapter 12 gives us a perspective of heaven that many times we don't think of. I think when we think of heaven, it's easy to think of the streets of gold or, the, or the, it's easy to think of the, you know, the walls of jasper or the gates of pearl or, or uh, you know, little angel babies on a cloud with the harp. I don't know what you think of when you think of heaven. I don't think that one's in the Bible. But Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 1 says this about heaven. It says, Therefore we are surrounded... By such a great cloud of witnesses, so let us throw off everything that hinders us in the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. So if you've ever wondered if those, your loved ones that have went on to heaven, if they can see you running your race, this scripture says absolutely. That we're surrounded by people that are cheering us on, and the writer of Hebrews gives us some encouragement. He says, I want you to throw off Everything that hinders you along the way. The, the word throw off there is a Greek word that just simply means this, to lay aside one's clothing, or if I could just put it plain, to run naked. I don't have any illustrations of that this morning for you. You're welcome. <laughs> but it's the word apotithemi. And what it's describing is the Olympic Games where... The Greeks would literally strip down to nothing and run their race so that they could run. I don't know how that makes you run faster, but I guess it does. But it brings to mind the idea that many times the reason why we struggle on our race is because we're weighted down with too many things. And the thing I think weighs us down the most, I can speak for myself and so many that I've had the privilege of being friends with along the way is simply this. Our past, I believe, weighs us down more than anything else on our race and in our journey with God. Our failure, our, our, our regret, many times coming to church is like flying in an airplane. We bring our bags with us. And for an hour and 15 minutes, we check our bags and we put them in, we check our bags before we get on the plane and man, the worship starts and we go, we go 30,000 feet up in the air, don't we? We celebrate things like we did today, baptisms, and man, we, our spirit soars. And we hear the word of God, and God does something in our lives powerfully. But somehow, some, sometime between leaving the parking lot and, 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 and leaving this place, just like flying, we go to the baggage claim and we pick up our same bags. We, and we, we get back in our same car and we go back to our same life only to come back again to fly Again, but never to let our bags go. Church, I believe today is a day where someone can let the baggage of your past behind you. Where you can give it to Jesus and never, it never weigh you down again. Where you can throw off everything that hinders you along the way. Because God specializes in using people with troubled pasts. Maybe you come in here and you're intimidated by people that, that look like on the outside they have it all together. Please don't be fooled by the clothes or by the smile on our face. There's not a perfect person in this whole church. There's not a perfect person because we all have a past, being we all need a Savior. We all need God to help us and to give us strength along the way. 
And so I dedicate this message to someone here today that feels like you just can't escape your past. I dedicate this message to someone here today that feels like you've been defined by the choices that you've made or the choices that someone else made that you have no control over your past. That forever you will be marked by the decisions of your past. To you, on this race of life, a lady comes out of the stands, a shero of the faith, if you will. Her name is Rahab. She would simply say this to you. When you feel disappointed with the story of your life, she would say this to you and to me, it's never too late to turn the page. When you're feeling disappointed with the story of your life, it's never too late to turn the page. Psalm chapter 139 describes our life as this. It says, that, says simply this, that your eyes, speaking of God, saw my unformed body in all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So essentially, God describes our life like this. There's a book. There's a book in your, that, that has your name on it that one day will go on the shelf of history. There's a book that has your name on it. Many pages, many chapters, some chapters falling out. I had the privilege of getting to... Uh, I, a few years ago, when I, when I first started preaching, my grandfather, who was called to preach, he gave me his Bible. And he's running with the giant series. This whole series I've been studying with my grandfather's Bible. And just seeing the marks of a life well lived in the house of God. Pages that have been used and worn in church bulletin snippets. <laughs> just the life that was used for God. Do you know that your life one day will be bound into a book? And maybe that makes you worry because you're like, well, I don't really like what's being written. Are you telling me, preacher, that God wrote this? <laughs> he wrote this, seriously. Well, if you're anything like me, you've probably added some chapters to the story that God didn't intend. But the amazing thing about the grace of God is he can even take the stories that he never intended to write and he can use them for his purpose and his good. So I believe Rahab would give us some encouragement about the story of our life. And here's what she would say. If you're taking notes, number one, with God, a chapter is just a chapter. It's not the whole story. She would say, maybe you're in the middle of a chapter right now that you don't like. She says, as a matter of fact, when God found me, I was in the middle of a chapter that I didn't like. I was a prostitute. I never dreamed that I would be making the decisions that I was making. I, as a little girl, she would say, I didn't grow up hoping that I would be living a life like this. This wasn't part of my dream or part of my plan. But because of hurt and pain and bad choices, I woke up one day in a very bad chapter. And she would say to you, just because you're in a bad chapter does not mean that's the story of your life. See, every book is filled with chapters and your life is filled with chapters. And the temptation we have in the middle of a bad chapter is we say, this is just the story of my life. We say, a day late and a dollar short, that's just the story of my life. Addicted because of my decisions, just the story of my life. In debt, that's just a story of my life. Bad relationships, can't hold a job, failure, sin, shame, whatever it is, whatever negative chapter you feel like you're in the middle of, the temptation that you'll hear in your mind from the enemy is simply this. That's the story of your life. 
And Rahab would say, please be encouraged. Just because you're in a bad chapter doesn't mean that's the story of your life. God's story of your life is a story of victory. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord. They're thoughts of good and not of evil. To bring you to an expected end. In other words, you may be in the middle of a bad chapter and maybe it's a chapter that you've added. But if you'll give your story to God and let him write your story, God says the end is always going to be, it's going to be a page turner and the end is going to be the best. Do you know that with God the best really is yet to come? I don't know what you've experienced up until this point. Maybe it's been great. Maybe it's been not so great. But do you know that you can look forward with God that the rest of your life really can be the best of your life? See, many times we succumb to a place of low expectations. And we think this is just as good as it's ever going to get. Or 20 years ago is as good as it's ever going to get. You know, the scripture says with God, it's from faith to faith and glory to glory. So let's get our hope up. You may be in the middle of a bad chapter, but it's not your story. Joshua chapter 2 verse 1, we get the beginning of Rahab's story. It simply says this. That, that Joshua had sent out two spies to go spy over the land of Jericho. We, we learned last week all about the walls of Jericho falling down. This is right before that when the spies are, 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 are looking through the land and, and, and spying it out. And Joshua sends two spies. And watch the unlikely story that ensues. It says, so they went to Jericho and so they went... And they went into the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. In my mind's eyes, I was studying this week, I just imagine God silencing all of heaven when this story began to take place. I just imagine him looking at the angels and saying, shh, 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 shh. I don't know if angels talk, I don't, I don't know, work with me. And him just pointing Watch what I'm about to do. Because of all the places they could have went, of all the houses they could have went to, of all the spots on the wall of Jericho they could have went over to spy out the city, he, they just happened to step foot into the house where no good Jew should have ever been. And here's Rahab. God looks down at her life and says, Shh, I'm about to do something great in the middle of a bad story. And this lady who wasn't looking for God. See, Rahab's story doesn't go like this. One day she got convicted because she was such a terrible lady. And so she goes out into the streets trying to find the real God. And she finally finds God. And then God says, well, if you'll just get your life all cleaned up, then I'll love you. And I may use you and do something great in your life. That's not Rahab's story. Rahab's story is this. I wasn't even looking for God. I was just making bad decisions. I wasn't doing anything that was deserving of the love of God. And then one day, two guys come to my door where they should have never been. And they invite me into a story that would forever change my life and forever change the life of my family. Church, we make this statement. I've made this statement. When I was 17 years old, I found God. And I just felt like all week long as I was reading this, I said, Lord, forgive me. Because I didn't find you. You found me. Never forget, church, that we didn't find God because of how good we were and because of how together we had it. 
But God, who is rich in mercy, He found us in our lowest point. He found us when we didn't have anything to offer Him. He loved us and He washed us. That's what the scripture says in the book of Revelation. It doesn't say He washed us, then He loved us. It says He loved us in our sin. He loved us in our shame. He loved us in our problems. It's like being a parent. Man, being a parent's a dirty job. Talk about dirty jobs. It's a dirty job. Having a baby. We have a two-month-old baby at home. And it's a, it, I'm reminded, it is a dirty job. I've been thrown up on. I've been peed on. I've been puked on. I mean, the, it's like the first 24 hours. That just, just gave me the full gamut right there from the moment he was born. And I didn't say, well, hey, send him on back. He's too dirty. He's too messy. He's, somebody's going to have to clean him up. We're going to have to work out some kind of contract where I don't get any more feces on me or if he wants me to be his dad. No, I love him even in the mess. Why? Because he's my boy. And I know that God has great plans for him. And it's a privilege to walk with him through the mess of life. Do you know your God looks at you and he doesn't disqualify you because of your past, because of your mess? He says, I love you in your mess. I love you in your doubt. I love you in your disappointment. Rahab, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And I have a great plan for your life. Isaiah 43 says this, Forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. This is a word for somebody that your past is gripping you and you can't step into your future. God would say, don't dwell on the past. Because see, I'm doing a new thing. Could you shout that with me? New thing. Oh, God's doing a new thing. Something brand new. Something you haven't seen. He says it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I love God. I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. A chapter is just a chapter. It's just a chapter. It's not your story. Here's the second thing Rahab would say. I think she would say this. Be encouraged. God specializes in turning our worst chapters into His best stories. God specializes in turning our worst chapters into His best stories. She'd say, God didn't just love me in my sin. He had a plan and purpose for my life. See, God uses imperfect, broken people. See, there's... Not a perfect person in the scripture saved Jesus Christ. Adam was a failure. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old and Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar and Leah was ugly. Moses had a stuttering problem and Gideon was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute and Samson loved prostitutes. Jeremiah was too emotional and David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples couldn't stay awake while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced five times. Zacchaeus was way too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer and Lazarus was dead. What's your excuse? God uses imperfect people. I wrote this in my notes. There's nothing in your past stronger than the blood of Jesus. Nothing. There's nothing in your past stronger than the blood of Jesus. There's more grace in God's heart than there is sin in your past. When you struggle with your past, you always have to ask the question, whose memory wins? My memory, the memory of others, or God's memory of me? 
Because God says our sin has been forgiven and forgotten. The scripture says in Psalm 103, He's removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. So I want to encourage someone, stop remembering what God's already forgot. Stop letting your life be defined by what other people remember when God says, I've already forgot it. When I look at you, I don't see what you did 20 years ago. I don't see what you did last night. I don't see what you did. Because if you've come to me and given it to me, it's under the blood. It's far as the east is from the west. I heard about a lady who Satan came to her and the enemy would come to her and say, Oh, look at your, oh, remember your sin. And she'd say to the enemy, Go east, Satan. And then he came back, said, Oh, what about your sin? She said to him, Go west, Satan. And he went west. He came back, said, I didn't find it. He said, That's right. It's not here. God took it as far as the east is from the west. Next time the enemy reminds you or other people remind you of your sin, I just want you to look at the devil and say, Go east and go west because it's not here. I've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, God specializes in using our failures for his glory. The Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament was a special box that represented the presence and power of God in the nation of Israel. I actually have a picture of it here today. The Ark of the Covenant was overlaid with gold, and it had rods that would be carried. There we go. Rods that would be carried uh, by people along the journey. And inside the Ark of the Covenant were three items. There was, the, there was the Aaron's rod that budded. There was the Ten Commandments on, on stone tablets, and there was a pot of manna. Each of these were in this box that they would carry with them everywhere. This represented God's presence and power in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel. And it hit me this week that each one of these items represents a failure in the life of the nation of Israel. Or really, in this season, there are three greatest failures. The Ten Commandments that were in this Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments were really the second writing of it because the first one God made, and while Moses was coming down off the mountain, the people were, man, they had made a golden calf and made all kinds of mistakes, and he literally dropped the Ten Commandments and they broke, and he went back to the mountain and God gave it to them again. And it represented their failure, and God put it in the box. And then Aaron's rod that budded, there was, this, uh, there was this man named Korah that was stirring up rebellion in the people of, of, of God and said, well, really, Moses and Aaron really aren't the leaders. We're really the leaders and started stirring up dissension and the whole nation was in an array. And God says, okay, here's the deal. Everybody bring your staff up here and whichever one, whichever dead staff in your hand buds, <laughs> the miracle comes, you know, life out of nothing. That person's the leader. So God makes Aaron's rod bud, and he puts it in the box. And then the pot of manna, which was the food that God used to provide for the Israelites in the middle of this wilderness journey, the whole reason God provided it was because they complained. They were like, God, we don't like the food you're giving us. You know, they were complaining along the way. God, you're a bad cook. We want something else. And God's like, all right, 40 years, manna. And God takes a pot of manna and puts it in the box. And then over these three items of failure, on the top of this was called the mercy seat. 
And then once a year, the high priest would bring the blood of the lamb, spotless lamb, and would take that blood of the spotless lamb and would pour over top that. They would take the blood and he'd pour it over top of the mercy seat on top of their failures. And then they would carry it around everywhere that they would go. In other words, to say that our failures are under the blood and the mercy of God. Never forget, God's not your God because you're perfect. But he's your God because in the middle of your failure, he can still take his blood and he can cover your failure. And one time the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant and they tried to open that box and they tried to pull out from under the blood and under the mercy. They tried to pull out the past. And whenever they touched that thing that God had already put under the blood and the mercy, the scripture says 50,000 men died. You got to watch touching what God's already put under the blood. I want you to know God's put your past under the blood and you don't let anybody ever put their hands on that because God specializes in turning the worst parts of our story into the best parts of his story if you'll give it to him. It's under the blood. It's under the blood. He's got a purpose. He's got a plan. It's under the blood. Here's the third thing Rahab would say. She would say, you have a role to play in the larger story of God. In other words, you have a part. I think a lot of times in the story of life, we incorrectly assume that the story is about us. And isn't that kind of what social media and the world and life, and, you know, it's, it's, it's have it your way. You know, it's all about you. You know, face, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter just gives, gives all of us an instant voice to, you know, just say, you know, this is, this is me. You know, and, and it's so easy to incorrectly assume that this life is all about us. Like the story of life is about me. Could I, could I just say this this morning? This is not about you. This is not about me. The story of our lives are not about ourselves. The story of our life, it's God's story. If I could say this, history is His story. And the amazing thing about that, you say, well, that's not really encouraging. Oh, it's so encouraging because the one who is writing His story, history, He invites you and I to be part of it. What a privilege to get to play a small part in the grand story of God's redemption of earth. What a great privilege. And God would say to Rahab, I have a part for you to play. And here was the part. Joshua 2.18 Unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window, which... You let us down, and unless you bring your father and your mother and your brothers and all your family's household to your home. So they give her this memento or give her this sign so that she would be saved, and it was simply this a red cord that would be in the window. And, and there's so many uh, beautiful things about this story and how it represents the blood of Jesus and the cross. Uh, I, I, was, I was studying this this week, and they would say the way that you would know that a prostitute's house in this time was a prostitute's house is because they would take the window seal and they would they would put red on the window seal and then and 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 then the, the, the spies says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the cord and I want you to run it through the window. And and, and the, the, the the commentary I was writing says, Oh, look at that. It's the cross. It's a picture of the cross in her life. But what I want to bring your attention to is simply this is that she had a part to play. That 
that God had a plan for her, but she had a part to play in the story. Her part was to make sure that cord stayed in the window. That God's grace had provided the cord, but she had to make sure it stayed in the window. And I could imagine her life and her family. And here was the other thing. As many people are as in your house, they're going to be saved. So I'm sure she guarded the window where that cord was. That her, she had one job. And her job was to make sure that there was a cord in the window. I'm sure she, she backed every piece of furniture away from the window and says, Nobody touches the window. If they would use the window for just throwing groceries in or doing something, she said, No more. This, is, this window is not used casually. This window is, represents our salvation. This window is our hope. And nobody's going to touch the window. That you had to guard the window. See, in our lives, in our walk with God, church, if we're going to be a part of God's story and leave a legacy, specifically for our families, if we're going to leave a lasting legacy, we got to guard the windows. we got to guard what comes in our homes and what goes out of our homes and make sure nothing stands in the way of the window that we can do what God's called us to do that we can stay in the window that we can fight for our family Deuteronomy 6 6 says this these commands that I give you today are to be in your hearts and you need to impress them on your children talk about them when you sit at home when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you rise up God says we have a part to play if we're going to raise up and make a difference in the next generation says he didn't say go get the priest and tell him to bind the window go 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 get some pastor to to bind the thing on the window for our family he says no you do it that you have a part to play you have something that you can do to make a difference in your world that's what as a church we want to help you as much as we can to help you keep the cord in the window I don't want you to just come and experience a sermon and your kids come and experience a message and just go home and, 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 and just relegate spiritual learning and teaching and growing in God's plan to just one hour once a week on a Sunday. We want as a church to partner with the parents and the families in this place to help you keep the cord in your window. I have a, something I want to show you, something that's, that's new to uh, what we're doing in, the life, in church life with kids. There's a free app on the App Store. It's called the Parent Queue. I'd love for you to write that down if you're taking notes or just go on the App Store now. And you can go on that free app. And what it'll do is you can see on that app, you put your kids in there. You, you can put your kids' names, their pictures. And you can see exactly what they learned this morning in church. You can see the vid any video that they watch, video teaching. You can see what Bible verses they learn, what statements they're learning, and it'll give you questions to talk with them about when you're driving down the road, when you're, when, when you're, when you're at night, when you're sitting at the dinner table, and it, it'll help you keep the cord in the window. It'll help you. you got a part to play. You have something that you can do. I think she would say, I made sure that I kept the cord in the window. I made sure that our family was centered on that cord in the window. In other words, as a church, let's center our lives and center our homes on the purpose and the provision of Almighty God. Let, our, let, let, let the voices that are heard be, be voices of praise and songs of worship and, and scripture and talking about the things of God. How cool is it today to see a dad baptize his little girl? And, and how, how awesome is it when we put the cord in the window? Because God has a plan and purpose. Our lives. Here's the fourth thing. Simply this, don't despise, I think she would say, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Your story is not over yet. Your story is not over yet. Say, so well, I, I feel like, man, what could I do? What difference could I make? It's not some grand thing that I'm doing with my life. 
think she'd say don't despise the day of small beginnings, the story is not over yet. Joshua 6.24 says, Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, and they put the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and irons in the treasury of the Lord's house. It's so, so, so amazing. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. I just see God. Watch this. I just want to show you a picture of a shero, an imperfect lady that I saw great potential in. She was an outsider. And because of one decision to just say yes, she got a new home and a new family. And what could have ensued from that one decision, she could have never even fathomed what would take place because of that one decision. I want to show you something. The scripture goes on to say that Rahab married a guy named Salmon and they had a little boy named Boaz. This is a prostitute, mind you. This is a lady that God found. Boaz had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse. And then Jesse, you may have heard of his kid. His name was David. King, songwriter, giant killer. And even more than that, if you could take it down the lineage, over 20 more generations, you would realize that Jesus has the blood of a prostitute running through his veins. You see, we didn't get to choose the family we were born into. Nobody did. We didn't get to choose who our dad would be, who our brothers would be, who our sisters would be. Some of us may have made a different choice, right? But do you know Jesus got to choose who his parents and grandparents would be? And you know who he chose? He said, when he said all of heavens, he said, I want to show you where the lineage of faith is going to walk through. And the angel says, who, her? He says, oh, yeah. That's exactly who I'm going to use. And there's one time in the scripture where Rahab's not called Rahab the harlot. And it's in Matthew chapter 1 when it's describing the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And it says this, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Doesn't say the harlot, just says her name. Because when you're connected to Jesus Christ, your future is always greater than your past. And it doesn't have to define you any longer. Because God's got a plan and a purpose bigger than all of it. And I think before she ran off the track, before she ran, walked into the stage, I think she'd give us one final encouragement. I think she would simply this, say this, go all in for God. I think she'd just say, go all in. She made a choice that day when the spies came to her house to defy the king 
of Jericho and to go all in with God. And she would say, oh, if there was a choice that you could make today that would make all the difference, go all in with God. Don't hold anything back. Stop playing games. Stop living with one foot in the world and one foot out of the world and and, and being religious and going through some kind of religious ritual and motions. I think she would say that you go all in with God. You find His family. You serve the people of God. Like you go just all in for the kingdom of God. And she would say, I never could have imagined that God would use a prostitute like me to literally change the world today. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much. You use imperfect people. Lord, your grace is truly sufficient. It's all we need. It's greater than our mistakes. It's greater than our hurts. Lord, I pray for those today that they feel defined by their past. That in Christ, they don't have to be defined by their past. But today can be a brand new day. A day of hope. A day of healing. A day of life. If you're here today and man this message you needed this you feel like you're defined by your past I want to pray for you maybe you want to give your life to Jesus and today's a day of a fresh start for you I want to lead you in a prayer go all in today I encourage you you never know what God would do in your future if that's you today just simply say Jesus you're the only one that can save me So right now, would you save me? I give my life to you. I give my past to you. I give my future to you. Have your way in my life. I don't want to be defined by my past anymore. I want a new day. I want a fresh start. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. From this moment forward, I'm going to follow you. I'm going all in today, Jesus. Give my life to you today. No more fence riding. No more going through the motions. But I'm all in. Take my life. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, can we just give God a hand clap of praise for what He's doing in the house?